Hey, welcome to the Remo Tlale Life and Faith Podcast, a long-form podcast designed to help you thrive in your life as well as in your faith. Uh, all right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the podcast. I am so grateful that you have made time in your day and in your schedule uh, to listen to this, uh, whether you are on your run or working out, doing the dishes or just uh, relaxing on a good day in your life. Um, you know, the time that you take to listen to this podcast is uh, truly meaningful for me. And I, I really hope that this time on the podcast will be meaningful and helpful to you as well. Uh, this um, this podcast episode, uh, we are going to be interviewing uh, Nadine Templer, uh, who I am, uh, I was recommended to by someone. Uh, someone said, man, interview Nadine. She's got a great story. There's great stuff that we can learn from her. Uh, and she's involved with some awesome stuff. And so this, uh, this, yeah, this episode is going to be uh, talking to Nadine Templer uh, out of Nepal, uh, which is crazy to me. Uh, but Nadine, welcome to the podcast and thank you for being here. Thank you. Thank you for having me. This is great. Absolutely. Uh, if you don't mind, Nadine, if you could just give us a brief idea of, of who you are, uh, whatever you kind of define that to be, and then we'll jump in from there. Okay. So um, I'm French. I was born and I grew up in France. Wow. Um, I do not come from a religious background. Okay. You know, most people in France are not really religious. Mm -hmm. So I grew up not going to church, never reading the Bible, never even thinking about God. And then as I got a little older and I was in university, I studied English literature and through reading, I started thinking about God and I had a lot of questions. And then um, as soon as I finished my master's degree, I got a job uh, teaching French at London University. So I moved from France to London. Mm -hmm. And within a few days of arriving in London, I was invited to church by Douglas Jacoby. Oh, wow. Um, and so, um, you know, he was the perfect person to answer all my questions. Yes. <laughs> and so I actually became a Christian pretty quickly. Okay. I was very determined to find the answers to my questions. And so I was baptized in November 1983. Okay. Uh, and then, um, you know, I always had a dream to go uh, somewhere and help out. Mm -hmm. uh, even before I had faith, I always thought it was so unfair that some people had so much and sure. others had so little, mm. you know. And so materially, I thought it was not fair. And so when I became a Christian, the church in London was talking about sending teams to Lagos, Nigeria and India and Australia. And I thought, oh, this is great. So I thought India sounds like the kind of place I'd like to go. So I signed up for the Bangalore mission team and my husband also signed up. And that's how we became friends, started dating. And we actually got married the weekend before we flew out to India to start the church. So we got married on a Sunday after church. My husband preached. We got married. And then we got on the plane, we had a one week honeymoon in India, and then we went straight to uh, start the church. Wow. So, um, and then we were in India for almost 25 years, sure. um, you know, working with the churches there, um, with Hope Worldwide. Mm. And, you know, about 10 years ago, my husband changed careers. Uh, he joined the State Department, so he now works as a diplomat for the U.S. government, okay. and I work full-time 
for Hope Worldwide. We have five children wow. uh, ranging from 31 years old to 13. Mm -hmm. And two of our children are daughters adopted from India. Okay. So that's kind of a you know quick overview of sure. our life. Awesome. No, that's so great. Thank you so much. Uh, that is, there's so much to unpack there. Uh, I'm literally like, I was like baptized in 1983. That is that is almost 30 years of of uh, you know life in the faith. That there's enough. That's enough for a whole podcast episode. Uh, let alone the work to be able to go to India and you know and serve there and then hope worldwide as well. Uh, it's just super super cool to to hear your journey. Um, so if you don't mind kind of rolling back the years for us, and, and you said you, you went to study literature, uh, and that's kind of what drew, drew you to having questions about God. What were some of the questions uh, that you had about God and faith? And then if you don't mind, were there answers? Like, did you, were you able to find answers for all the questions that you had? You know, one of the biggest questions I had was, why am I here? Hmm. What is my, why am I on earth? Why do I exist? Yes. And, you know, I always used to read a lot. So I always had deep questions about the meaning of life. And so this question of why am I here? I always felt that there was something more. Mm -hmm. I didn't know what it was. Um, but then, you know, when I came to church and I, you know, I went to church on a Sunday afternoon for the first time. And I went straight from church to a bookstore mm -hmm. and I got a Bible. Wow. And, and I started reading voraciously. I was a reader anyway, okay. but I read, I mean, I just read pretty much the whole Bible pretty quickly. Sure. And I studied the Bible every day. I just wanted to know. I wanted to find out because I thought, you know, if this is true, mm -hmm. this is going to change my whole life. Yeah. And so I have to know. <laughs> I want to know if this is true. And then what happened is I met Jesus. Wow. And I just fell in love with Jesus. I was like, "That this is it. This is what I've been looking for. This is what I've wanted to be. All of those dreams I had growing up about wanting to make a difference, wanting to help. I think God had put those desires in my heart yes. from the time I was a child. You know, I remember being a young child. This was in the late 60s. And there was a very, very bad famine in Biafra, in Eastern Africa. Mm -hmm. And I remember that. I remember the pictures on the news. I remember the pictures of the children. I remember it had a deep impact on me. And from that time on, I knew I've got to use my life to do something. Wow. And so when I met, I met Jesus and I was like wow this is it that that's he is the one that's who i want to follow and so for me right from the beginning it's always been about jesus it's not mm -hmm. about religion it's about jesus yeah. um and so yes i found my answers absolutely i remember going to douglas jacoby and saying what is truth what you know yeah. and he would open the bible and read scriptures to me and the scriptures transformed my life. No one had to convince me that there was a God. Yeah. You know, there was never any big debate. I just, I read the word a lot. As I said, I studied the Bible every day. I read the whole New Testament, most of the Old Testament, all within a matter of weeks. Yeah. And as we know, the word of God is living and active. Mm -hmm. And it transformed my heart. Wow. And one day I realized I do believe this totally makes sense. Mm. Um, so 
yeah that's how i came uh, came to faith wow that's incredible so okay so can you describe for me because i've heard it said uh, but everybody's experience is slightly different when you say you met jesus i know you don't mean he was in your room one afternoon and you shook his hand right? <laughs> i know that much so what does that mean for right you? What, what, when you how would you define i met jesus well i read the bible i read the gospel mm. um i read the stories of jesus and how he interacted with people mm-hmm. the life he lived the conviction he had the the deep compassion, the love, the the way that his whole life was about reaching out, was about caring and loving, and and he was not afraid to say what he thought. Um, you know, Jesus was a world changer, yeah. and you know, for me as an idealistic young woman who wanted to travel and make a difference, it was incredibly inspiring. So I met Jesus through the scriptures, you know, through reading the gospels. Mm. Yeah. And I think that's, that's so important because there's, there's many a young person who uh, need help to differentiate, right? To, to pull away the religion and the, I grew up in church, I go to church every Sunday and the Jesus of the Bible. Uh, so I love that you said, man, right. you just read the scriptures and you went over the scriptures over and over again. And that, that's kind of what helped you there. Uh, but t- tell me, Nadine, when, when you know, Douglas Jacoby was answering your questions, uh, did you end up getting all the answers to all of your questions? Or did you have to live in the tension of, man, some of these questions just don't have answers that I can fathom right now? Well, there were questions where the answers were not always clear to me, but they were not issues of salvation. Okay. Um, you know, I had questions, for example, about the role of women, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> I had questions about different things, but those were not salvation issues. So I looked for the answers to the things that mattered. Mm. And that's one reason I became a Christian quite quickly. I came to church at the beginning of October, was baptized at the, the end of November. Wow. Um, so it was quite fast for someone who had no faith. Mm-hmm. Um, but I tried to focus on the important things. I knew I needed to be forgiven. I was very worldly before I was a Christian. Mm -hmm. And so I knew I needed to be saved. I knew, so I tried to get the answers to those questions. And then all of the other things that were not salvation issues, you know, kind of, I put those on the shelf. And then as the time went on, you know, over the next few years or whatever, you know, I got those questions answered one by one. And I think with those things, there's time. Mm-hmm. You know, if it's not an issue of salvation, then we can take time to study different topics sure. in more depth. You yeah. know, I had a lot of questions about the grace of God. What does it mean? Mm-hmm. You know, you're, you're baptized, you're saved. So what happens if you sin again? I had a lot of questions about that. But, you know, that all came after my baptism and it was fine, you know. Um, and I'm still learning. I'm still studying. I'm still searching. There are still things that I don't fully understand. And I've mm. been a Christian, you know, almost 40 years. So Wow. Yeah, that's, it's like, man, that is, that is so helpful because I think there are many a young person who have a lot of questions, especially in the era that we live in. Uh, that are trying to figure it out Uh, but i love how you said man the things that matter the most is the things to get the answers for first and the other stuff will as time goes on you can kind of keep learning and growing uh, and being able to understand them 
so just last question on kind of this, this idea is what would you say are the key issues? So what would you say in your estimation are the things that like if you are a young person right now, these are the things that you need to be clear on to be able to put faith in Christ and, and get saved. Uh, and then the rest of the stuff we can kind of, you know, learn as we go. Right. Well, I mean, you know, in terms of being right with God, it's all about our sin and our relationship with God. Mm -hmm. You know, for me, I had been very immoral. I needed to get my life straight. Uh, it was wonderful to repent and make a decision to be pure. It was so freeing. Mm. Um, you know, I, I was someone I, I never learned about sin, about right and wrong, and except, you know, when my parents told me. But, yes. <laughs> you know, if there's no reason behind it, that doesn't go very far. Yeah. So that was one thing, um, you know, uh, I used to have a terrible temper. Okay. <laughs> um, so, you know, changing that, you yeah. know, learning to be patient, to be kind. Um, and the biggest thing for me really was forgiveness. Okay. Um, you know, I grew up, I had a very difficult relationship with my father. Mm. Uh, there was a lot of anger in our home, a lot of physical violence. My oh. dad, um, you know, and I mean, he became a Christian later, so I can share this because he shared it himself. But mm. he used to beat me every day. Sure. You know, every day of my life, I got beaten by my dad. And oh. so by the time I was a teenager, I hated him with a passion. Mm. And so when I became a Christian, that was actually the hardest thing to change. Wow. And I know, you know, a lot of young people, you know, have trauma in their life or mm. a story of maybe they've been abused or mistreated. and. The, that lack of forgiveness is really, it keeps us enslaved. Um, and so being able to be freed from that, you know, forgiving my father was the hardest thing to do. Um, I did, it was not easy and it didn't happen in one day. You know, I made the decision before I was baptized, but then it took years to actually really forgive him. Um, but I did, and you know, over the years, my relationship with my dad, got repaired and 16 years after I was baptized my father became a Christian wow. so you know I think those are the important things the, the things of the heart mm -hmm. all the external issues um, they don't have to do with our relationship with God mm. you know um, those other things are important I'm not saying they're not important yeah. but number one is am I right with God and today you know, almost 40 years later, am I right with God yeah. every day, you yeah. know? And am I focused on the cross? Do I understand what Jesus did for me? And does that motivate me to remain righteous and, yes. you know, have integrity? Mm -hmm. um, I think that's really what matters. Yeah, sure. That's so good. And I, I appreciate you sharing so honestly and so vulnerably about your your past. and and. and you can say no. Uh, I'm going to ask a question that we definitely didn't talk about or, you know, send in the, in the notes. Um, but how did that affect you mentally and emotionally? That the fact that your dad, you know, would, would abuse you. I mean, that is, mm -hmm. uh, you know, not everybody has the same type of trauma, but that is trauma. Uh, and I can't imagine right. what that does to a young woman uh, as she tries to journey through life. So if you don't mind sharing with us kind of how did that affect sure. you? So I think as a child, it made me very introverted, very shy and very afraid. Uh, my dad was a very tall man. He was six foot five. Wow. 
he was uh, very intimidating. <laughs> um, and so as a child, I was painfully shy. I would be the little girl in the back of the classroom who, you know, I would always try to hide from the teacher. I would never raise my hand in class. I was very, very shy. Um, but then as I became a teenager, that shyness turned into rebellion. Okay. And I came out of my shell um, as a teen and I became a very, very rebellious teenager. And that's when I became really re uh, worldly. Mm. And I think in my search for love and acceptance, yes. I looked for that in relationships. So I had multiple boyfriends. Mm. I was just out of control. Um, I tried to break every, every boundary. You know, whenever I was with a group of friends, I was always the wildest one there. You know, I was always the risk taker, the one who you know, was doing the crazy things, got into lots of trouble, um, you know. And so by the time I was 16, I made a decision. No one will ever tell me what to do. I will never be controlled by anyone. So it was not a healthy thing to mm -hmm. live. Um, and so by the time I was 21, I was done with all of that. You know, yeah. I was like, okay. I've tried everything, I have rebelled against everything, now what? And that's when all these questions of why am I here? What? So I think it all kind of tied in, yeah. um, you know, so it did affect me a great deal, absolutely. And even now, as an adult, I'm turning 60 this year, if someone raises their voice, I get a physical reaction, sure. you know. Um, so, yes, and I realized, you know, many, many people, many young people, you know, have lived through things like that. When I share my story, people are like, oh, yeah, you know, this happened to me or, you know. Yeah, sure. And I, again, I appreciate you sharing, sharing with us because it's cool. It's I mean, it's it's hard and it's sad to hear that that was the journey you had to go through. But it's also really cool to see how God worked it out. That, that it led you to a point of questions, it led you to a point of seeking him and you know and, and now you know I mean congratulations on turning sixty. I know that's a big milestone. And it's like, you know, there's a there's a purpose for this. You know, there's almost a purpose for your pain, um, which is a topic we've actually covered on the podcast before. Um, but how did that because I know the relationship someone's relationship with God is very easily affected by their relationship with their parent with the, especially their father so how did that kind of play a role in that yes. in that dynamic of you discovering God and finding Jesus and putting faith in him how, how did that kind of show itself up in those sort of spaces yeah that's an excellent question uh, you're totally right the way we view our father our earthly father totally affects our relationship with God mm. so my father had that side to him where he was very violent and you know, it turned out later when he studied the Bible that he had been a secret alcoholic, so everything made sense. Okay. Uh, and, you know, he had been abused as a child. All kinds of things came out when he became a Christian, which totally made sense. Yeah. Um, but I think he had another side of him. He was also a very affectionate man. I think the times okay. when he lost his temper is probably the times when he was... You know, he had been drinking and we didn't know. Yes. Uh, but he had another side to him where he was actually very affectionate. And I knew he loved me. He actually really loved me. Okay. Um, but what it did to me is I had a very um, 
confused relationship with God because I was so grateful to be saved and I knew God loved me, but I also was scared. Yeah. Um, and it's something that I have battled my whole Christian life. Mm. You know, am I really saved? Yeah. H have I done enough to please God? You know, is God going to be angry with me? Yes. Up until fairly recently, and maybe sometimes on my bad days, I'll think, you know, if I die today, would I really make it? Wow. You know, like that uncertainty, which is why the first few years after I became a Christian, I studied the grace of God a lot. Mm -hmm. I had to understand the concept that you don't have to be perfect to be saved. Because my dad had such high expectations of me, one reason he was so angry and violent with me is he wanted me to be the perfect child. Okay. And, you know, no one's the perfect child. <laughs> but he had really, really high expectations. So I had to be the best student in school. I had to be everything, like, at the top in yeah. everything. And out of fear for my dad, I actually did that. I was always first in class from the time I was in preschool until I finished university you know wow. because there was that sense of you have to be your best you have to be excellent you have so there was no grace yes. there was no grace whatsoever and so it affected me yes a great deal and um, it's something I've had to work on study out a lot and that I probably will deal with the rest of my life to mm. be honest yeah Sure, this is this is so good, and it's definitely, you know, going a slightly different direction than than what we had we had thought it would, it would go. Uh, but this is like it's one of those things where I'm like, man, I'm grateful for the Holy Spirit because I feel like he he sets the course, and, and I just enjoy getting to hear people's stories and and how you unpacking this. I'm like, man, there's so many people, and even myself, who could resonate, and maybe not to the extent of your story, but there's so many pieces that I'm like, yo, that just makes so much sense, and. So thank you so much, you know, already I'm like, man, this is, we could drop the mic here and we'd be, we'd be all good. Um, but just one more question on this is, you said you had to study out a lot of grace. You had to figure out grace in a big way. And then you also mentioned that because of, because of the way that your dad was, there was no grace, right? And, and right now in society, especially for young people, there is this awkward kind of imbalance of some people are very truth-oriented, and very little grace and some people are very grace oriented like i can just sin up as much as i want and god has to forgive me because of his grace uh, so if you could maybe speak into that what would your advice be for young people to help them to grasp that man both grace and truth are important and and, and maybe this is how they can play a role in our lives you know the the books in the bible that i studied and it's interesting because this was almost 40 years ago and i remember it as if this was yesterday okay um but I studied the book of Romans, I studied Galatians, mm -hmm. and I studied Hosea in the Old Testament. Okay. And I would say, study the scriptures, um, you know, those books are so good when it comes to grace. Yeah. Um, and it's, you know, God has standards, and we have to strive for those standards. Mm -hmm. But if we don't meet those standards, which of course we won't, yeah. you know. Um, it's okay as long as we're doing our best yeah. um, and when we mess up there's always an opportunity to repent, to come back to be forgiven, to try again and I think what's missing a lot of the time is when we mess up, we think that's it I'm done, yes. God is done with me 
yeah. you know um and i think especially you know sometimes in the church we look at some sins as worse than others mm -hmm. and especially when it comes to like sexual sins yeah. i think there's a lot of guilt attached to that and we think well if i've messed up that's it i'm done and so i think people sometimes leave the church or fall away from God or because they feel that I cannot be forgiven I'm just too messed up and that's not true yeah. but I think studying those books really really helped me I mean the story of Hosea and his wife is just so beautiful and so moving you know I thought well if Hosea can take his wife back after she committed adultery mm. I mean you know I mean God can absolutely take me back when I mess up yeah um, sure no I mean that that is that's a good word and, and I love that you said you, it's so simple the definition you gave that God has standards uh, but the standards are at a level where we probably won't reach them every time and so when we do mess up there is grace for that you know so it's still to strive to do our best but there is grace for the moments that that doesn't happen so uh, that I hope you know I hope that helps someone someone out there because that, that's definitely helping me um, but let's let's transition. So you go through all of this kind of great conversion. You come to faith in Christ. You get baptized, and, and then you decide, man, I'm, I'm off to India. Uh, I'm going to go and serve uh, in India. So so kind of you know, tell us how it was. How how was it to? I mean, you were newlywed, right? You said you had, you had had a week of honeymoon, and then boom, you were you're now on a mission team in India. Uh, how did that go? How how was that? It was rough. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. It was rough. Um, it was exciting. Uh, you know, we were young. We were 24 years old. And uh, Mark and I led the mission team along with Mohan Nanjundan. And he was single still at the time. So it was the three of us and then a band of young people. <laughs> they were all younger than us, you know, probably 20, 21. You know, some of them had been Christians for six months, one wow. year. Um, so... We were very young, we okay. were pretty inexperienced, but we had a lot of faith, you know, mm. as young people do. Um, and in those days, there was no internet. Uh, phone calls were almost impossible. Yeah. Um, you know, India in those days, obviously, you know, there's been a lot of change since then. But in those days, the city of Bangalore was, I mean, it was a large city of a few million people, but it felt like a big village. Okay. Um, so you know here we are we're young we're full of faith and we're in a completely different society you know we're still learning the language yeah. um and for women it was very challenging because in you know the situation of women even today in india is challenging but in those days i remember the first day we went out to share our faith yeah. we we were out for a couple of hours the whole time we were out, I saw one woman. Wow. And so wow. the women's ministry wasn't going to be like it was in London. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so we had to learn to adapt. Uh, one of the things my husband has always talked about, and he feels this very deeply, and he still does it to this day right here in Nepal, is wherever you go, you have to become like the people you want to reach out to. So... We learned the language. We wore the same clothes they wore. We ate the same food they ate. We lived in similar conditions they did. And to really try and blend in and connect. Yeah. 
and we had to learn to do the ministry differently. For me as a woman, you know, and I'm a bit of a feminist, you know, I mean, hey, I'm French, so, you know. Um, <laughs> so here I am in India in a society where women will only do something if there is a man with them. Wow. So we had to learn to reach out to the women through the men. And so if the brothers met a man who was open, then we would go to the home and meet the women. And then I was able then to study the Bible with the women. So the whole concept of don't not bringing the people to the church, but the church going to the people. Sure. We had to learn to do the ministry that way. Yeah. Uh, and here in Nepal, it's still pretty much that way too. We go to people's communities. We go to their homes. We start Bible study groups in their homes. We reach out to their friends, their neighbors, their relatives, and that's how we had to learn to do the ministry. Very different from in London, where you know you go share your faith, you bring someone to church, they like the service, you ask them if they want to study the Bible, you set up an appointment, you meet in a coffee shop. We can't do that yeah. here; sure. <laughs> it doesn't work. Mm. And so, you know, that's. Uh, but it was a bit a bit rough, especially for the women. Yeah. You know, it, it was a bit rough in the beginning. Sure. Wow, that's that's so cool because I think there's a, there's so many lessons that we could learn today from that story, right? I mean, just one of young people having just crazy faith that that just go and do it, you know. I I, I think of I mean I work with young people and, and that's who I want to try and impact, and I just think sometimes there is there's become into the young people com, into the young community uh, a sense of fear of oh, but what if it doesn't work out? Like if it's not a perfect strategic plan. Uh, where what I'm hearing you say is, man, we didn't have a plan. We didn't have the internet. We didn't have books. We, we just went out and did it, you know. Uh, and then you even spoke about the idea of, um, you know, the church having to go to people and not people coming to the church to the church building. And I almost feel like if we look at just what's happened now with COVID-19 uh, across the globe over the last, now just over, you know, 12 months, is that's what the church has had to learn how to do again, is how can we go to people? Because we can't gather in the masses uh, in one building. And so... Uh, you know, what would you say, and I know you touched on some of these things, like your husband said, you become like the people. But if you had to think today, and maybe from your experience now in Nepal, uh, what, are you, what would you say are some key ways that people can learn to, man, I'm going to be the church and go to people and take the church to them, as opposed to expecting them to come to me? Well, I'll tell you a really cool story. Please. Well, a couple of cool stories. But my husband is amazing with this kind of ministry. So... We came here in, to Nepal in August and in the middle of COVID. So, you know, we, <laughs> we met as a church for the first time two weeks ago, wow. and we're only going to do it once a month for, for the time being. So, you know, we couldn't meet people. But um, when our kids came here for Christmas to visit us, and they went paragliding. And uh, so they were in this village outside of Kathmandu, about an hour and a half outside of Kathmandu. They went paragliding and, you know, when they finished, um, you know, they talked to the people who organized the paragliding and realized that two of them in that group were believers, which is very unusual in Nepal. This mm -hmm. is a Hindu country, very unusual to meet believers in Jesus. So my husband was like, ooh, you know. So... He went to their home immediately after paragliding, which was not in the plan. He <laughs> sure. went to their home and had tea. And they sat down and they talked and they became friends. And then, you know, we, we came back to Kathmandu after a couple of days. 
Then my husband went back to the village with some of his friends from the church here, went back to the village, had food with them, sitting on the floor together, mm. enjoying the fellowship, met all the relatives, the extended family, the neighbors. And then, you know, the following week, we invited the whole gang to our house for another dinner. Mm. And since then, there's been many, been many visits and, you know, starting a small group in that village. Wow. And then more and more friends and relatives joining. One of the people we met through that group leads his own little fellowship. He has a small fellowship of about 20 people. So, you know, kind of building those relationships, but making the effort to go to people's homes and, mm -hmm. you know, meeting them where they're at in their community. Um, so that's one example. I mean, my husband has a lot of examples like that. Sure. Uh, but, um, and you know, looking back, that's how we started the churches here, you know, in India. Uh, Mark, my husband went and started churches in Pakistan in Bangladesh, in, here in Nepal. The churches were all started that way. Okay. You know, you go to people's homes, you meet the community. Yeah. Um, and so practically, I think that's how it works in this part of the world. And then it may be that that's the way to do it, not just here. Here we do it out of necessity in a way. Sure, okay. But it's, it feels a lot more like what Jesus did. Yeah, yeah. That, you know that's what i hear so th th that's i ask because I, I think it sounds a lot more like man that's if jesus were around that's probably how he would he would do his ministry it wouldn't be with a big right. billboard and a big building and again uh, nothing against those things i currently work at a church that has a big facility i get it but it's also like man how do we do uh the other side of that and, and go out into the community um so maybe if you if you can take us back, and we, I want to talk definitely about the move to Nepal and how that ended up coming about. But if you can take us back into when did you get involved with with Hope Worldwide, and then maybe for those who don't know what Hope Worldwide is, if you could give us kind of a, a brief description sure. of what is Hope Worldwide. Well, Hope Worldwide today is the um, you know the, the the charitable part of the church. Okay. Um, you know we. It's the organization that's a sister organization to the ICOC. We work together. Um, we are the ones who serve communities, uh, you know, people maybe materially poor or have different needs. I know in South Africa, you know, you guys do an amazing job. Dr. Mark Aguirre is one of my mentors and heroes. Um, so it's the, you know, nonprofit attached to the church and it's worldwide where we're every everywhere where the church is mm -hmm. usually hope worldwide is there as well however how it started is there was no hope worldwide okay. <laughs> how, how it started is we went to places like india and we started doing the ministry you know the way jesus did the ministry mm. and how did jesus do the ministry you know if you look at the first couple of chapters of the book of mark you know, at the end of Mark chapter 1, verse 35, it says, Jesus got up early in the morning while it was still dark and prayed. Mm -hmm. So Jesus prayed. And then you follow his schedule. Yeah. Uh, after praying, you know, he went and he preached. And then, oh, he saw someone who needed healing. So he healed them. Yes. And then, oh, okay, he discipled his people. And then, oh, he helped another person. And he healed someone else. Yeah. And, and he preached a sermon. Oh, and his disciples needed rebuking, so he did that. And then, you know, oh, there was, you know, somebody else who needed help, a leprosy 
patient, you know. And his ministry was seamless. It was teaching, preaching, healing, helping, teaching again. You know, it was all one. Yes. So there was no... In the beginning when we went to India, there was no hope worldwide. Okay. Uh, serving the poor was part of our ministry. You know, when we first went... Um, I remember we, we met some a colony of leprosy patients. So it totally made sense to help out. And yes. so, you know, every week we would go and have dinner with them. We'd cook big vats of rice and lentils and we'd go, you know, under the bridge where they lived and we'd sit on the ground with them and eat dinner. Mm. And for us, that was ministry. Wow. And, you know, we did a lot of Bible studies, but we also ate dinner with leprosy patients because that's what we saw in the gospels and so that's what we did yes. and i think as the church grew and the church grew very fast you know this band of young people who didn't know anything our first year in bangalore we had almost like it was around 150 baptisms wow. so but i i think okay and I, I don't know for sure but i suspect that one reason god blessed us so much even though we didn't know what we were doing, is because we really tried to imitate the ministry of Jesus. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if God didn't look down on us, this band of inexperienced young people, but we really tried to imitate. And so we did serve the poor as we evangelized. Mm -hmm. And so I wonder if God didn't just decide, okay, well, they don't know what they're doing, but I will bless their efforts. Yeah. I don't know. I wonder sometimes. So one of the things we would do, for example, is we wouldn't baptize anyone until they had served the poor. Oh, wow. <laughs> which, which I'm not sure that's completely biblical, but, you know, sure. <laughs> we may, you know, but we did that, which I think it was all one. And then as the church grew and then there were more and more needs to help different communities materially, then it became obvious that, you know, we needed to create a nonprofit. Yeah. So we created Hope Worldwide uh, in India, in Mexico, in Africa, in a different places. But um, it was always part of the church. Um, and so, like, we always did both, my husband and I. It was never like, oh, we're working for the church, but you're working for Hope, you know. Yeah. Um, so it was always one thing. Um, so, and I think that's how things grew. Um, I think over the years, sometimes things have got a little bit more separated. Okay. But I know right here in Nepal, Hope Worldwide and the church work together. Like, you know, the disciples are always coming to the Hope program. There's a lot of back and forth. Um, so ideally, that's how it should be. Yes. Yeah. Wow. Okay. And so is, is it as a result of being involved with Hope Worldwide that led you to Nepal? Or what, what kind of led the move for you guys to be based in Nepal? Okay, so as I shared about 10 years ago, you know, my... No, let me go back further. In, we went to India, you know, we got married at the end of 86. We went to India by 1996. Uh, when 1995, we felt like... And that was always the goal. We're going to India, but we're not Indian, so... We're going to go, we're going to help things get started, but the goal was always, as quickly as possible, let's raise up local leaders. Okay. So by the time um, we were um, 
you know, it was 1995, so eight, nine years after we arrived in Bangalore, we felt like we had the local leadership. So we passed on the leadership of, of all the churches in India. By then we were overseeing all of the churches in South Asia. So we passed on the leadership to a team of local brothers and sisters. Mm. And uh, we then took a step back and became more kind of, you know, consultants and advisors and mentors. Yeah. And, um, and then we went to London for a few years. The church, we led the churches in the UK for a few years. And then in 2003, you know, the church had a big crisis. So we decided then to go back to India because Hope Worldwide in India really needed help. Okay. And so uh, we went back to India and focused more on Hope Worldwide. Mm -hmm. But then um, about 10 years ago, my husband decided to be self-supported. You know, we became a little expensive. We have five kids. They had to go to college. Yeah. You know, it, it just wasn't going to work with Hope Worldwide. So um, we, my husband took this job. You know, he's now a diplomat. Mm -hmm. And so we are self-supported. But our reason behind doing that was always to remain in the countries we love and help out. Okay. So we're here. Uh, so in the beginning, we stayed in India. And Mark worked for the U.S. Embassy. And I was working with hope and the ministry and then we you know they get posted in different places so we moved sure. around a bit and then my favorite place in the whole wide world is Nepal and I always wanted to live here and wow. the church here is wonderful um, they are great they've done a fantastic job but they needed some more training and they wanted more training mm -hmm. and then the work of hope worldwide here is also amazing but again they need capacity building so we thought wow Let's just go there for a few years and help out. So that's why we're here. We're not leading. We're here to help. We're here to serve. We're here to assist. We do a lot of teaching. We do a lot of um, training. Uh, but that's what, and that's that's kind of our new incarnation now. Sure. Uh, you know, we'll be here in Nepal for a few years, and then we'll go to another place in this part of the world and see what we can do. Yeah. You know, and we only go to places where people want us to come you know um <laughs> sure. like you know we don't want to go somewhere and impose ourselves we want to yes. be invited in and we're just there to support we're just there to help as long as we're healthy and we're able to do it uh, our dream and plan is to stay here retire and die in this part of the world wow. we, we love this part of the world so that is incredible that's that's such a cool story and a cool journey uh, to be able to be uh, in a place that you love and to do what you love you know I think there's so many young people that I'm sure are listening to this thinking man if only you know if only I could get to a place where I could live where I want to live and do what I want to do um, and I, I know that that's kind of been a long a long-term process um, but something that I did want to I did want to touch base with you about is that is the idea of Hope Youth Corps or Hope Volunteer Corps rather than the, mm -hmm. the, the multiple branches that they have because as i understand it you you help hope to oversee uh that that part of of, of things so uh, if you could maybe give us what is what is hope volunteer corps and then some of the you know right. facets and types of volunteer corps that kind of fall under that okay so uh since 1994 hope worldwide had this program it's it was called hope youth corps it started as a program for young people, um, you know, teenagers, campus students, mostly from the U.S., they would travel in a group, go somewhere in the world, surf with the whole programs. So that was great. And that went on for many, many years. 
But, um, you know, I was living in India and, you know, I started thinking, well, it's great that we have, you know, these groups of U.S. students going places, but what about the rest of the world? You know, I'm a global person. Sure. So, you know, we lived in India. My kids couldn't go. We couldn't afford it. So we we're like, okay, so what do we do? So my best friend is Karen Louie, and she lived in Singapore. And so we decided, okay, let's do one that's for the kids around Asia. So we did a youth corps in uh, the south of India, and it was really successful. And another thing we did is, you know, these U.S. students and teens, they always come in what is their summer. Yes. But that's their summer. It's not everybody else's summer. Sure. So, <laughs> um, so we decided, you know, there's one time in the year when everyone's free at the same time. That's Christmas. Mm. So we're like, how about we start a youth corps in India at Christmas and the first one we did we had a huge crowd of you know young people from Singapore from India we had a few coming from France and you know so well like, oh this formula really works okay so we thought well let's do another one and so we did another one and it just kind of blew up it we had a hundred and twenty people sign up and we had to close registration Wow. and that was the first time we had a truly global youth corps. So we had participants from Australia, from the US. I mean, people came from everywhere. And so that kind of um, grabbed the attention of Randy Jordan, who was the CEO of Hope Worldwide at the time. So when Mark started his new job and we started moving around, we left India, we were posted in Dubai for a while. I was not working for Hope in India anymore. So Randy Jordan said, hey, you seem to have a lot of ideas, you know. So um, he was like, why don't you take over the youth corps department? Okay. And I was like, okay. So I thought, let's try some new things. Yeah. So, uh, so the first thing I did was making it truly global. So we started going to a lot more countries. I think at that time, it would probably go into like five countries then very quickly within two years we were like in 25 countries um and then also the exciting thing is the participants started coming from other places okay so a group would go to say i don't know uh hungary and there would be people from all different places so it wasn't just a group of americans traveling to one place sure. it was people coming from different places who didn't know each other yes. and serving together for two weeks so it became this really fun, exciting, vibrant program. And then the next question and was, well, we can't just do this in the American summer. So we started having programs throughout the year. Okay. So the Christmas programs are super popular um, because anyone can go at Christmas. So that mm -hmm. was another thing. And it's so meaningful to serve over Christmas. Yeah. And then the next question was like, well, why is it only for young people? <laughs> Sure. So, you know, and Mark and Lynn Ottenweller had already tried to do a single score. They had done a single score in the Philippines one time. So I kind of took that over and, you know, now we have single score. And as you know, there's a single score that comes to Johannesburg yeah. every October. Mm -hmm. um, so we have single score now. And then the parents were like, hey, we want to go with our kids. So we started a new program, the Volunteer Corps, where anyone can go. Okay. So you could be, you could go with your children, 
some places are safe for young children. Like in Nepal, we have people coming with little kids. Okay. Uh, and then the grandparents come. So we've had 80-year-olds on the programs. Wow. You know, so, and we have singles and families and young people. And those are amazing programs. Th that's the favorite program because it's multi-generational, yeah. multicultural. Mm. Uh, it's just a blast. And so... And then, you know, medical people were like, hey, you know, we want to do medical core. Mm -hmm. And then other people said, hey, we want to do agriculture core. We did one in Zambia a couple of years ago. And yeah. so, and, and we're not done. Who knows what's going to happen next? And so I think it's been exciting to see it growing and exploring and changing. And it's changing all the time. Uh, the big change in philosophy behind it is we don't go to help we go to learn and okay. so when a group of volunteers goes to a community like Johannesburg we're not going in to tell you guys what to do mm. because you have experts on the ground sure so we're going in to support to assist to build connections, to build relationships, yes. uh, and to learn. I mean, the truth is, I think the impact is at least as important on the volunteers as it is on the communities where we serve. Yeah. Uh, so we, there's a lot of talk about mutuality, respectful service, uh, connections. Um, the other exciting thing, along with Volunteer Corps, Youth Corps, is we started a leadership training program. So when I started uh, leading the department in 2014, we started a global program called the Global Service Internship, mm. where okay. campus students, and if there are campus students listening, <laughs> campus students are being trained. It's a two-year internship while you're in university, while you're in college, where you get trained to lead volunteer corps. So wow. the volunteer corps are led by young people. That is awesome. So it's a, it's service training, but it's also ministry training. Um, so a, a lot of young people who do the, the global service internship end up going into the full-time ministry. Um, and you say, well, I live in South Africa. How does that apply to me? Well, another thing that we started doing about three years ago is we have a scholarship program now. Okay. So... If you can't afford to go on a volunteer call, because it's not cheap, you know, you have to pay for the trip, mm -hmm. which for a lot of young people in countries around the world, that's out of their reach. Yeah. So we have scholarships. So for example, the last program we did in Zambia, in Lusaka, we gave scholarships, full scholarships to, there was a young lady from South Africa who came, there was a young lady from Rwanda, there were two people from Kenya, and several people from Zambia itself. And so they got to be participants along with all the other people who came from the UK and the US and Canada and wherever. Mm -hmm. So we're trying to make this program accessible yes. to young people. So now we have global service interns in the places where we serve. Nice. So we have a global service intern in Bolivia. We, you know, we have one in Mexico. Mm. And so, um, and, you know, my dream would be to have interns in different places in Africa, in Zambia, in Kenya, in South Africa, the places where we serve. And so, anyway, that's, I know that I've talked a lot, but that's kind of the... 
No, I, we, what's going on? I can tell the passion is oozing. That, that's why I was like, man, you, you can keep going because <laughs> I can tell you are, you're very passionate about this, uh, which is it's so cool. I mean, uh, I've uh, I had the, the opportunity to, to actually be semi-involved uh, twice here in Johannesburg. Uh, and I've, I know many people who've done different different um, different trips as well with, with the volunteer corps. Um, and it, it really is uh, so unique in that it does give you a sense of camaraderie with the people that are on the core but also with the people on the ground that you do get to build relationships and connections and learn and, and serve uh, in a great way and i love what you said earlier uh, when you spoke about this in, in jesus's ministry that's how he did it right he didn't just preach the word but he also was was able to heal and he was able to to care for people uh, in in situations that weren't uh, ideal, uh, for lack of a better term, so so it's such a cool cool idea uh, and a cool um, opportunity for young people to be able to get involved with. So just briefly, if you could give us how does how does one uh, sign up? How do I how do I register to, okay. to be on a volunteer call? Well, you go on the Hope Worldwide website, and I can send you all the links. Mm -hmm. um, and you go to the volunteer call page. And we have the list of all the trips. Now, obviously, this year with COVID, some trips will happen, some will not. <laughs> but, you know, about, you know, most of our trips will take place this year. And we're taking precautions and so on. But anyway, so the list of trips is there. You can sign up and you can also apply for a scholarship at the same time. Um, yeah. And, you know, you sign up, you, you have to write a short essay, you have to get recommendations you know um so yeah and so um that's what you do you pick your your place obviously a, a scholarship can cover your fee but you still have to pay for your plane ticket sure so you know depending on what people can afford so yes. but you know the, the the good thing is you know the trip to zambia is happening um and that's not as far sure. um you know I mean, yeah. So that's how you get involved. Awesome, and and uh, you know, I, I know people can find this. I'm sure on the website. But if if you were to to have the ears of those listening to the podcast episode today, what would you? What's your selling point? What's the thing that you feel like, man? They must sign up for volunteer corps because of this. You know, it it's um, it's a really intense time of growth okay. uh, when you go on a volunteer corps you have devotionals every morning you serve all day and you have discipleship groups every night okay. um, so it's an intense time of training it's an intense time of growth so spiritually you know it's an amazing time young people are given the opportunity to lead on those trips sure. so they we give priority to youth on those trips so mm. even if there are older people on the trip the older people like me are there to support but we let the youth lead so you can teach devos you can lead d groups you can you know you can even learn you can become a, a global service intern mm. and lead your own trip you know uh which is an incredible leadership opportunity when you're a 21 or 22 year old young yes. person yeah. um so yeah and you build relationships connections i mean you know people who go on these trips become best friends and lifelong friends with people around the world yeah. and one of the things that we really encourage is cultural awareness 
cultural sensitivity. Uh, it's great to be on, on the same trip with people from Singapore and from Texas and from London. And, you know, it, it's just, it's fun because you learn to get along and communicate effectively with people from totally different cultures. Mm. Come on, that, yeah, that sounds awesome. And I, I can vouch that all of those things are true, having been involved. Uh, with what I've been involved in here in Johannesburg, I can vouch that everything uh, Nadine has just said is true. So if you are listening and you are wondering, man, what, what can I do with some of my time and some extra cash, uh, sign up. And if you don't have the extra cash, sign up. And maybe the, you know there could be a, a scholarship involved that could help you to be able to serve. Uh, but Nadine, uh, this has been so rich. I, I'm so grateful that uh, you know you replied to my email. It's always it's always a tricky one when you just send an email to someone that doesn't know you. Um, but you know, thank you for your willingness to come on the podcast. Thank you for your openness and honesty in your story and your journey to this point. And um, thank you for for giving in and, and filling in to young young people uh, that they can be able to thrive in life as well as in their faith. Uh, I do want to end with one more question, and uh, this is a question I end uh, all interviews with. So. Uh, hopefully you can you know you'll be able to answer this as well um but what would you like to say in light of our conversation uh, to help young people thrive in life as well as in their faith it's all about jesus mm -hmm. don't ever forget that don't get caught up in you know the world success um or even religion you know i think jesus is different from religion <laughs> Uh, don't settle don't get bored in your Christianity keep it fresh always go back to Jesus always read the Gospels always get excited about the life Jesus had um, and it's all about the choices you make in life you know someone can look at my life and say wow you know you got so lucky you know at every turn I made the decision and Mark and I, you know, that's how we've tried to live our life. At every turn, we try to make the more committed choice. Wow. So we have an option. What are we going to do? Let's try and pick the more committed option and let's take a risk. And of course, now we're 60 years old and here we are living in Nepal and, you know, we're living our best life. And people are like, why are you so lucky? It's not just luck. You know, obviously God blessed us and God was in control, but we had to make those choices when in 2003, when we had, we lost our jobs leading the church in London, we had no money, <laughs> you know, we made the decision to move back to India. It was rough. Yeah. You know, we ate rice and vegetables for about nine months. Um, but, you know, our, our passion for the our purpose, what we've always wanted to do, you know, we tried to stay faithful to that. And it's amazing how God has worked and how God has blessed us. So I think young people, take a risk, go with your passion, go with your heart, and always look, look to Jesus. He's our ultimate example. The day I die and I face Jesus, I want to be able to look at him in the eyes and say, I have no regrets. I have no regrets. I did what I wanted to do. I took the risk. And amen. Amen. Come on. Ms. Nadine, thank you so much. We really appreciate your time. Well, thank you. Thank you so Thank you for listening. For more thought-provoking conversations, subscribe to the Rima Klale Life and Faith Podcast. 
please like, review, and share so that we can continue to help others thrive in their life as well as in their faith.